the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. It's very possible that Vladimir Putin hadn't anticipated the impact of economic sanctions being quite as big a threat as they have become. After all, even the maximum pressure push on the likes of Iran and Venezuela has not curtailed trade in sanctioned oil completely, nor have they toppled those regimes. But having expelled the 11th biggest economy from the global payments plumbing of SWIFT, the flow of money across borders is seizing up, and the flow of trade is rapidly following suit as the shipping industry self-sanctions its way out of a complex matrix of Russian ventures and beneficial ownership links. Foreign investors are now fleeing the country in droves, and a good proportion of shipping companies are now no longer touching anything to do with Russia. Those still hanging in there as a money-making opportunity, well, they're walking a fairly precarious line right now. If you're standing below the oil majors and tech giants on the moral high ground, you should probably be reconsidering your position. This week on the podcast, we're going to be examining what impact Russia's invasion of Ukraine has had on global seaborne trade and shipping operations. I'm joined by an all-star cast of Lloyd's List and Lloyd's List intelligence analysts, all of whom have been tracking the markets and the fallout from sanctions that have seen Russia swiftly become an international pariah state this week. We're going to be looking at the industry's exposure to Russian interests, the impact of commodities and container markets, the extent of sanctions, and the response from insurance and legal concerns. But we're going to be starting with Michelle Vizi Bockman, our markets editor, because despite some efforts to reduce Europe's energy dependence on Russia ever since the annexation of Crimea in 2014, not a huge amount has changed. And regardless of sanctions exemptions, Russia's role as a key oil and gas supplier is causing a huge upheaval in the markets right now. So, Michelle, kick us off with a quick overview of the implications for tankers to start us off, if you will. Well, tanker rates have shown an 11-fold rise on these key Russian routes for oil and gas as ship owners shun Russian cargoes, even though oil and gas are exempted, because self-sanctioning is really taking hold of seaborne energy flows. And this is going to lead, I think, to a recalibration of um, trade flows especially for crude and for refined products like diesel. And so these invasion consequences are now playing out in ports. We have ships diverted, we have tankers delayed, we are seeing fewer loadings and traders and ship owners are re-evaluating, you know, very complex and unclear compliance and also reputational risks. And so this lack of clarity is also whiplashing commodities prices. Um, we've seen Brent crude um, undergo massive spikes and, and the biggest upheaval since the, the first Gulf War back in the early 90s. Um, now, why is this important? 40% of all diesel imported by Europe, which doesn't make enough to, to meet demand, comes from Russia. And that's the same for the UK. Um, so trade flows are going to be affected depending on the, the types of positions that ship owners and traders take. Now, I've spoken to some key ship owners, and if they have Russian crews, they're seriously re-evaluating, calling it Russia. And if they're calling, if, if they have business that might have taken them to Russia, they're saying, you know what, even though... Um, there are no sanctions on the molecules. We're just not prepared to take that reputational risk. Some are, but there's a fear that if 
things play out um, and 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 heaven forbid that things worsen in the Ukraine, that they could pay um, a, a reputational price for this. So it's it's all very much in a state of flux, but I think there's an element of caution, especially among the European ship owners. And that element of caution obviously is probably most highlighted in the container trays, containers being the most visible part of the shipping industry. James Baker, our containers editor, you've been looking at the response from some of the biggest names in, in container shipping. What's what's the current situation there? Well, we have this new iron curtain that's come down over Russia in terms of container shipping. Um, the top five or six um, container lines, all the major European lines and also Ocean Network Express from out in Singapore have all stop taking any bookings other than for humanitarian aid so foodstuffs medicine and so on um going to or from russia um but because of the congestion that's been caused and difficulties um trading with russia at the moment um Mersk yesterday has even stopped taking book bookings for foodstuffs and pharmaceuticals it's just gotten too difficult so they've, they've jumped in very quickly to um you know for obvious reasons to to stop um taking bookings there i think the main issue is that you know, deep worries about being involved in sanctions. Um, as there are also operational difficulties coming in now. Um, we heard reports out of you know, places like um, Rotterdam, where the customs authorities are checking every container that's destined for Russia to make sure there's no dual use um, commodities or, or, or products on board that could be used for for warfare. Now that's causing huge delays, and it just means it's it's impractical. Um, so that's so where they're at at the moment. That's going to have a few, you know, I mean, the thing with Russia is that it's not a massive container shipping market. It's, it's less than 3% of global volumes. Um, <clears throat> there's very little, um, very few deep sea services that go sort of whole way Asia, Russia. Most of it's um, feeded through from tra transshipment hubs in the Baltic and the Eastern Med. So we're not talking about a massive market here, but it is going to be a massive disruption for the um, European, uh, sorry, for the Russian economy. Um, one other thing, I mean, Michelle mentioned reputational damage. We've, we've had this story emerge over the last two days. Um, the, there's a terminal operator called Global Ports, which yesterday the London Stock Exchange um, halted the trading of its shares or its GDRs um, in the UK. Now, this one's kind of interesting because it's a joint venture company and one of the major shareholders or controlling shareholders is Maersk's APM terminals. Um, and they also have um, a couple of other units where there are shareholdings by companies like CMA terminals, which is CMA CGM's terminal outfit, and also by the German uh, terminal operator Eurogate. So we have got some interesting stuff coming up here in terms of what happens with these companies. Now, I don't know what impact the sanctions will have, but there are questions to be raised here in terms of, you know, do we still want to be involved with companies in Russia? Given the fact that we've seen oil majors not traditionally associated with taking ethical stances on uh, situations like this, uh, you know, exit their joint ventures, I wonder how long shipping is going to be able to sustain its joint venture partnerships with Russian yeah. companies. But, and, uh, and I think a company like Maersk, which is you know very strong on its environmental, social, and um, and governance, um, you know, you really need to look at where you are on the standing on the moral high ground. And the, arguably, there's some companies above them at the moment that um, might make them want to reconsider their position. We'll see. Um, but yeah, but in terms of the 
you know, the market itself. I mean, this is not going to have a huge impact on container shipping. It will add to the problems that already exist um, with the, you know, if we get cargoes that don't have anywhere to go, they're going to end up on ports. That's going to lead to more congestion. That's going to lead to more vessel delays, more schedule unreliability. So, um, you know, container shipping is not in a great place at the moment already. It didn't need this, but in the bigger picture, it's not a massive impact for now, touch wood. Okay, thanks, James. Nida, dry bulk probably has been lower profile in terms of the headlines, given everything else that's going on, but there is a fair amount of grain trade coming out of the Black Sea. That's had an impact in terms of the dry bulk markets, clearly. Yes, um, the Black Sea, uh, Russia and Ukraine are uh, is a major um, exporting region. Uh, they exported about 76 million tonnes last year. So the impact is in the near term is is going to be negative. We will also see a, a lot of trade disruptions um, over the course of the coming months. Um, the biggest immediate impact is is on the grain side of things. Um, we're likely to see a reduction of about 20 million to 25 million tons of grains. Um, this is corn. Um, this is the main sort of season for for corn exports at the moment. Um, and going forward, we're probably going to see an impact on the wheat and barley exports because um, the season for that will sort of get into full swing around around July, August time. So if this situation is prolonged, we'll probably see an impact there. But for the time being, it's it's the corn trade that that is being most affected. We've also got it's Russia is also a, quite a big exporter of of coal. Um, we saw about 186 million tons coming out of out of Russia. Russia accounted for about 42 and a half percent of of Europe's coal imports, um, but a keen buyer of that is China. So if the situ situation escalates um, and the EU tightens sanctions on on energy flows, um, then we 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 could see uh, you know Europe trying to scramble and find alternative sources, um, which might actually be beneficial for the dry bulk market because these sources are likely to be further away. So we're thinking about uh, perhaps Colombia, the US, um, Australia even could 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 provide replacement volumes. But the big question here is whether these suppliers actually have the available um, quantities that will be needed um, to come into Europe. So there's a big question mark there. But in terms of sort of freight rate reaction for now, um, it seems to be that the smaller size bulk carriers, the supermaxes and the handy sizes haven't really been impacted yet. They're, they're moving from strength to strength. They're edging up every day since the invasion last week. Um, Panamaxes did take a dip last week following the invasion, but they're also back up now. And cape sizes are actually the most volatile of, of all the um, bulker sizes, but they're less exposed to the Black Sea region than, than the other sizes. Um, so that's kind of been drifting lower. But, but the one thing that that is is one to watch is is that having spoken to, to several bulker owners and operators, um, while they are carrying out um, obligations, contractual obligations, they have said that they, they won't be doing any new business in Russia and they won't be calling at Russian ports. So we've heard from all of the major markets, uh, box, 
bulk and tanker energy uh, supplies there is a wait and see attitude in the market obviously everybody is is anticipating that this is not going to be a situation that is going to be um, resolved quickly in terms of the insurance and the, the legal responses so far we've obviously got lawyers advising extreme caution in terms of what happens next insurance seems to be uh, holding a sort of a, a temporary pattern of, of of let's see how this goes well maybe that's not quite fair what's i think the attitude in the the marine insurance industry has traditionally been at times of conflict is is it's there to provide insurance for ships which is for everybody's good if things go wrong um it's also not directly exposed in the same sense that some of the shipping operators are um to the best of my knowledge for instance no marine insurer has a substantial subsidiary in russia itself so i do know that the international group has been deliberating this week and that indeed west of england pni club has terminated cover for two fesco feeder box ships that were singled out by the us um, for sanctions because they are financed by the leasing arm of one of the sanctioned russian banks but on the whole i my suspicion would be that they will continue to provide cover unless and until ordered not to i mean the precedent here is iran where uh you know the the marine insurance industry was deliberately chosen um or given the responsibility of refusing cover to cripple iranian shipping um that was done with some reluctance although of course there's no question of not complying with sanctions so i think the mood is very much well we'll wait and see um what the sanctioning authorities decide to do um again in in terms of law what we do have is a growing body of legal opinion that the war risk clauses in standard charter parties both time charter and voyage charter um they, they are now triggered because the extent of the fighting is sufficient to merit that i mean we've already seen a couple of ships hit um tragically with one loss of life on board a um tragically with one loss of life on board a, boat, a bangladeshi flagged bulk carrier and also the sinking after a missile hit of a panamanian flagged general cargo ship so there is now the right for owners to refuse orders to call at ports in the affected regions where they do choose to do so they are naturally being asked for far higher war risk premiums um and in another development the warlike operations area committee has declared that the um that the ports in the black sea north of uh, 44 north are war are indeed warlike operations areas which means that crews are entitled to sign off or get enhanced pay if they do choose to serve and obviously we have to pay tribute here to the fantastic courage of 
seafarers, the coal face of our industry, who are actually continuing to crew these ships. Quite, quite, uh, lest we uh, not forget the uh, bravery of the people actually involved at the coal face of this. Um, there is a huge humanitarian issue here in terms of the Ukrainian and Russian seafarers involved and caught in the middle of this to some extent. Yeah, can I just add, Richard, that that I've spoken to one ship owner with, with Russian crew and he said he is facing extreme difficulty paying his his crew. He hasn't worked out a way to do it yet. Mm. So that 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 is a, a huge problem for for the huge amount of russian and ukrainian crew who um have russian banks into which they're paid and of course this is just one of the many many problems that are now emerging in terms of practical details of what happens next we've heard the overview from each of the core markets and and, and the insurance response but the response from the industry has been generally characterized as one of huge confusion because although we started the podcast by mentioning sanctions Actually, sanctions have been relatively limited in terms of the um, restrictions it has imposed on shipping. What has happened is a huge amount of self-sanctioning and a huge amount of concern in terms of being able to identify what constitutes Russian shipping as defined by those governments seeking to uh, restrict it. We've seen the UK government put a ban on entry to port for Russian-owned and controlled vessels uh, with wording that is uh, so loosely uh, put together, you could drive a VLCC through it. What has happened there is that ports have effectively been left to determine what is and isn't Russian in the absence of any official guidance, which is apparently coming down the line. Uh, a lot of people are now looking to double check and, and, and do the due diligence in terms of how big their Russian exposure actually is. Bridget, uh, you have been working with me on uh, a number of these data-led stories. Give us a, a quick view in terms of how big the Russian affiliated fleet, not just the Russian flag fleet, but the Russian affiliated fleet actually is. Absolutely. So I think that was the main takeaway of looking to the into the data was just the scope of the Russian affiliated fleet. We have around 6,500 vessels um, with a Russian link, according to our data. But of course, if we want to focus on ones that are likely to be trading internationally, so looking at those over 10,000 DWT, we get a total of about 429 affiliated vessels. And of those, there's only about 168, so around 40% that are Russian flagged, so a bit easier to identify. But the rest, you have to look into things like the registered owner, beneficial owner, and commercial operator. So because the UK has cast such a wide net, it, it makes it incredibly difficult to actually identify which vessels are, are linked to Russia. And it's, a, it's going to be a huge problem for, for the ports to do so. And of course... What we don't know yet is how much focus there will be on the charter as well. Uh, the cargo itself is not included in the UK legislation. We don't yet know what the European response is going to be. We saw a resolution passed in the European Parliament on Tuesday that if it was enacted in the way it was worded there, would see any vessel that has previously called at Russia and is aiming to call at a European port effectively be barred from all EU member state ports. Now, if that does end up being true, that is going to cause a huge disruption to international trade. Um, we're also joined by um, Sebastian Villian from our uh, Lloyd's List Intelligence uh, cousins. Um, Seb, we've obviously seen huge confusion in the market. We've seen a lot of uh, our customers coming through asking for guidance as they 
start their own due diligence process and, and, and double checking KYC issues in terms of what is and isn't Russian. Um, do, do I take it that this self-sanctioning uh, issue is probably first and foremost in people's minds right now? Yeah, absolutely, Richard, and you're absolutely right talking about self-sanctioning in this in this case. Uh, what we saw initially uh, during the start of the conflict is the, the sanctions from OFAC under the US Treasury, uh, the UK under HM Treasury, and then the EU started with very targeted sanctions aimed at crippling financial services. So the freezing of assets, uh, restrictions on dealing in debt and equity and bonds. But of course, um, after that, uh, very few vessels, vessel owners and operating companies have actually been explicitly sanctioned. Um, as Bridget mentioned, the UK and the EU have uh, responded since these initial sanctions by casting a very wide net through the port bans kickstarted by the UK Department of Transport Circular that was banning the entry of vessels which are Russian owned or operated, controlled and charted. Uh, registered or flagged, which again is 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 a huge uh, bucket list to go through. Uh, this means that yet again, it is really the compliance managers who are now scrambling to vet their counterparties, uh, which is based on this advice, which isn't very clearly defined. Um, it's interesting, it's the ban is in line with uh, other comprehensive sanction regimes like we've seen from OFAC um, on North Korea in the past, again, where sanctions are um, not very explicit on, on the entities. They're far more broad ranging. Uh, so again, the onus is here on the, the compliance managers in the companies in, in energy and, and commodity sector, in finance and insurance to, to identify which of their counterparties are sanctioned rather than this being uh, clearly and explicitly mentioned by, by the sanction authorities. Um, in the last week, what we've seen as well of of the very few vessels that are actually being listed on the sanction list, uh, one being the Baltic leader, uh, which was then detained by the French naval, uh, by the French Navy, um, and the vessel Linda, which has been denied entry into Malaysia this week, they're all owned by the same owner. So as we're, what we're working through now is, is identifying these companies, which ultimately have ties to, to Russia, but it is at this point, a very uh, complicated situation. Um, we're also seeing a number of companies that are approaching uh, us and their counterparties in clarifying their ownership structures. So this could be uh, companies that have operations in Russia. They're trying to distance themselves from that, uh, pointing back to where they are ultimately registered and, and incorporated. Uh, so it's, it is a fast moving situation. It's going to be very difficult to predict what happens next. The huge amount of uh, volatility in the market and the fact that we just don't know how this is going to pan out. But realistically, if Russia is completely cut off uh, from dealing with Europe and UK uh, through either self-sanctioning or official sanctions, it still has the option to export energy to Asia as it has been doing in increasing volumes anyway. If that needs to go down the route of becoming another subterfuge fleet, it could very easily do that. Well, well, it, it's difficult. I mean, Russia's biggest seaborne export market is the Netherlands, which is the destination because of, you know, there's several major refineries there. So so 16% of Russian crude goes to the Netherlands, given the fact that OPEC, the, the oil cartel, 
is controlling the release of production. And that's part of the reason why oil prices are so high, um, that 800,000 uh, barrels per day that's come from Russia that is being bought by Nether Netherlands refineries, given OPEC are only putting back 400,000 barrels per day, that leaves a lot of um, imbalance in the market. And I'm just not sure that the market can cope with that. So I think, you know, it's very hard to predict, but I think OPEC may have to revisit its decision to release um, 400,000 barrels per day a month. They decided not to, saying that, you know, this was a result of geopolitics and not market fundamentals, but I think geopolitics is now changing market fundamentals. So there's that aspect. A lot of the ships that have got oil oil on the water at the moment, those cargoes were, were bought and sold before the invasion. So you've got new cargoes that are coming out post uh, the Ukraine invasion, and so traders will take a different position, which will affect ship owners. There is so much in flux, so much in play, um, and as I said, the the price, the commodity price, is also um, at at eight highest levels since two thousand and eight. I I really think that it, it's impossible to do anything but speculate, and that's kind of meaningless in this situation. Well, quite. Uh, no doubt we will be revisiting the OPEC decisions in podcasts to come, but uh, I think it's worth pointing out at this stage that OPEC has not been meeting the quotas it has been allowed exactly. um, uh, up until this point. So, you know, whether it is a question of politics that's preventing the production uh, uptick from the likes of the Saudis or whether they are just unable to find a couple of extra million barrels of uh, crude down the back of their sofa. Uh, that is a big question that is uh, going to be affecting the outcome of the tanker markets for, for many months to come. I hate to say it, Richard, but it's a perfect storm. Uh -huh. We've used that cliche for the last three years, but it's always a perfect storm. I mean, it's just nuts. It is. It is. Well, on that note, we're going to leave it for this week. Uh, as is abundantly clear to everybody listening, this is a fast-moving situation. And while the details in this week's edition of the podcast were correct as of March 4th when we recorded, there's a very strong possibility that by the time you listen to this, the situation will have moved on. We will, of course, be keeping you up to date with essential analysis and news via loyslist.com, where we've created a special Ukraine conflict section where much of the coverage is free to air for the moment. So please do check that out. Anyone listening wishing to get hold of a more expansive data-led analysis of Russian beneficial ownership for compliance or risk mitigation purposes should check out both loyslist.com but also loyslist intelligence for more details. And if there's specific questions you want the team to be focusing on as the situation unfolds, please do feel free to reach out directly via Twitter where I am at loyslist.ed or richard.mead, that's M-E-A-D-E, at informer.com. But for now, our very best to all listeners. We hope you stay safe out there. Have a good week. Bye.